problem is that we spend too much on some kinds of care that is very expensive and not enough on different kinds of care that could reduce costs and improve outcomes for patients, most importantly. We spend more than what we should on costly hospital-based services for chronic disease patients and not enough on non-hospital-based primary care that could prevent them from having to be admitted to hospital. Figuring out how to deliver more cost-effective care has huge financial implications. Now, the between, depends on who you listen to, 5, five or 10% of so-called frequent flying chronic disease patients who are heavy users of healthcare are said to account for nearly 50% of total health costs across the system. Total health spending in Australia is continuing to grow faster than GDP and now exceeds $150 billion annually, almost one in every $10 in the economy. So if we can use the 50% of our health dollars spent on chronic care more efficiently, the financial implications are obvious in terms of doing what we need to do, which is to bend the ever otherwise ever-escalating cost curve downwards. It therefore seems to be a no-brainer to me that we should try to go all out to reorganise how the system, uh, how, the, how, the, how the system cares for chronic disease, um, given how much money is on the table and given how much more money will be required as the population ages and the cost of caring for the chronically ill mounts. Now I note that this was the conclusion of the Innovation in Healthcare Roundtable that was recently hosted by the Australian Financial Review earlier this month. According to the write-up in the AFR, the consensus among stakeholders and experts around the table was that our health system needs to be re-engineered to better meet the, f the needs of the future and that real, real innovation will come from a more integrated, more coordinated approach to health service delivery across the sector, which will provide prevention and treatment at the optimum time for patients and the community. Stripped of the jargon, this is simply to say we should deliver different types of care at different times in different places to keep chronic patients healthier and stable and out of hospital. This, be this begs the question that if we know what we need to do, and it's so obvious and agreed, why don't we just do it? The answer, unfortunately, is that the political obstacles are formidable. We can't simply say, let's use all these billions of health dollars more, more wisely, because the dollars are locked up, literally, in the existing health payment systems. The real structural problem that we need to grapple with is that Medicare and the private insurance system are both rigid and inflexible. What both mainly do is to pay doctors for one-off appointments, tests and procedures. These payment systems literally reward doctors for doing the same things in the same ways and on a fee-for-service basis that rewards activity rather than outcomes, meaning there is no, no incentive or little incentive across the system to stop a patient coming to hospital. Now these structural impediments prevent the development of those alternative cost-effective models of care we hear so much about in theory because those who might develop those models literally cannot get their hands on those health dollars to develop those kinds of services. Now taxpayers of course are on the hook for the inefficient cost of funding and delivering health services in the traditional way, but so are private health funds, or at least their members are. Now the rising cost of health premiums has become one of those hot-button, hip-pocket issues that politicians tend to like to grandstand in a feel-your-pain sort of way. But health funds have very limited ability to control their costs and hence their premium charges. They are legally obligated to 
operators hands off third-party payers for basically what doctors decide patients need. They are unable to operate as risk managers, able to make informed and strategic purchases of healthcare from the best price and quality providers. This especially applies to treating chronic disease in the private system, a gap laid bare by the fact that it is in fact illegal for health funds to pay for any primary care service covered by Medicare. In other words, the health funds are pretty much tied, their hands are pretty much tied and they can't stop a chronic patient ending up in hospital. This is the kind of systemic irrationality that the motivation report is targeting. The political obstacle, however, to any move in this direction, which is basically that we need to pull all our health, all our health funding for hospital and non-hospital services and allow new cost-effective models to be funded out of that pot of money, because this is vehemently opposed by the Australian Medical Association. Any move in this direction is branded managed care or the Americanisation of the health system. And once the end of free bulk bill GP visits is foretold, politicians tend to back away at a million miles an hour for fear of the electoral implications. The result is a stalemate. A stalemate that means that much of the health debate is simply in love with talking about the problem because no politically feasible solution and way of moving forward and allowing payment and service innovation and integration is offered. Until now, at least three of our four speakers tonight believe we have come up with a real solution. What our motivation report argues, or has proposed, is creating what we've called health innovation communities in designated geographic regions. Within these HIC declared areas, we suggest the Hunter region, Westmead Hospital catchment, and perhaps the state of Tasmania, healthcare providers could apply for, ex for exemptions from existing Medicare and private health insurance legislation and be allowed to create and use alternative payment and service delivery models that are currently banned. Exempt providers, and this would include companies, startup entrepreneurs, charities, private health funds, and federal and state government health agencies, could then recruit individuals who wish to voluntarily opt in to receive integrated care. And this would be supported by a funding model that pooled all federal, state and private health funding to give providers the flexibility and incentive to integrate and innovate. We've dubbed HIC Silicon Valleys for Health that would catalyse development of novel health products. Once functioning models were established and proven, they could then provide workable blueprints for change that could be rolled out across the entire health system. But the first and most important step is having the opportunity to discover what works. This is the key point about HICs in terms of the politics of health. We believe they are a viable way of initiating health reform because the current Medicare and private health insurance payment and service arrangements of the vast majority of consumers and providers will remain intact. Exemptions from the existing rules will only be permitted within dedicated regions and only apply to those consumers and, and providers who choose to opt in to the new arrangements. Now, critics might say there is already similar change occurring in the health system or across the sector. Now, it's true that the federal government's Healthcare in the Home program has taken preliminary steps towards creating a pooled or capitation-based funding mechanism. Also, the latest iteration of, the New, of New South Wales Health Chronic Disease Program has adopted a more flexible approach to allow local health agencies to figure out for themselves what works. But funding for the Healthcare Homes program is $120 million. 
New South Wales Health has committed $180 million to its chronic care program. These are drops in the health funding bucket. If you're an existing healthcare provider, be it a GP, a public hospital, a private hospital operator, or a corporate primary care provider, you would look at the size of these so-called investments in new models of care and think that governments aren't really serious about innovation. Why would you bother to start thinking about disrupting your established fee-for-service business model? A national, health strategy, a national health innovation strategy focused on HICs, by contrast, would send a clear signal that governments are serious about innovation by adding much greater scale to existing initiatives and giving many more innovators the opportunity to enter the market and discover new and better ways of delivering healthcare. A final point. All of this might sound anti-doctor to some years. No one begrudges doctors earning incomes commensurate with their training, expertise and experience. The issue is how, or rather what doctors are awarded for doing. I think that in a reorganised system with different incentives, doctors would rightly play a leading role in innovating and be appropriately rewarded for their role in delivering cost-effective care by sharing in the financial dividend in the value released by innovation. I think there is sufficient waste in the current system that I suspect doctors' incomes would increase. So that's the sketch of the idea in the background. Two of our three speakers tonight may wish to amplify different aspects of the HIC concept, as well as, their offering, as well as offering their insights and perspectives as both insiders and outsiders on health reform and the politics of health. Our first speaker is Dr Peter Seaton. Peter is a former member of the New South Wales Parliament, who has also worked as a policy director in the New South Wales Department of Premier and Cabinet. Among her current roles, Peter is a consultant, speaker and writer with a wide span of policy interests, including health, and including the work she is doing to drive health innovation within the public health system in Western Sydney, which was the entry point for her involvement in the Medivation Project. Gerald Thomas, our second speaker, is Director of Altruist Health. Gerald is an entrepreneur with extensive background in consulting and strategy, who is currently trying to drive innovation, tr currently trying to drive healthcare innovation. He is the true father of the HIC concept, the spur for which derived from his coalface experiences of trying to achieve change in a sector that was close to innovation, despite all the talk about doing things differently. I think he is keen to illuminate those experiences for us tonight to make the case for HICs. Our final speaker is Terry Barnes, who is a prominent health policy consultant and commentator. With extensive experience as a political advisor, Terry was a member of Tony Abbott's staff when he was health minister in the Howard government. Terry also holds the dubious distinction, along with myself, of being the loudest proponent of the Abbott government's ill-fated Medicare co-payment proposal, an episode which has generated a number of political lessons about health reform, which Terry may care to touch upon. But his brief is broader than that, and we anticipate that he might stir the pot again by making some remarks that are counter-heterodox, if not heretical, regarding health policy. So without further delay, I would like to welcome our speakers and ask them to address us, starting with Peter Seaton. Thank you.